Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Believe Podcast Network, SoCal Sweat. My name is Ann McDaniels, a former NFL cheerleader and product manager turned actress and model who dreams of being a UFC fighter. Meow. Learning strategies to help motivate others leads me to bring you interviews each week from a range of athletes, experts in fitness and nutrition, and so much more. Thanks for listening to Believe, the number one podcast for working professionals, and let's push our endorphins to higher performance through SoCal Sweat. This is your host, Ann McDaniels of SoCal Sweat. And in today's episode, we will be discussing the fad diets. They are everywhere and they can be very confusing. Now, throughout time, these 20 weight loss plans called fad diets have existed in all forms to promise dramatic results in weight loss. Although they may work for the short term, the loss of weight can often be attributed to water and lean muscle, but not necessarily fat. Can the diets be followed on a long-term basis to match a lifestyle? From keto, paleo, Mediterranean, to gluten-free, vegan, intermittent fasting, and so many more, the list goes on and on. To break down the facts, pros, and cons to these popular diets is today's guest, Shelly Salimia, who graduated with a Bachelor's of Science in Nutrition and Dietetics from NYU, followed by achieving a Master's of Science in Human Behavior from Cal State University, Northridge. She's highly passionate about her work, not only as a dietitian, but also as an educator, counselor, researcher, and mentor. And now I'm happy to introduce Shelly Salimia. How are you today, Shelly? Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank, I'm good. Thank you. How are you doing on this kind of gloomy Saturday in LA? It's good. Didn't know it was going to be so gloomy, but you know, it's a weekend. Relax. Stay it home. is. Kind of sleep in, everything. Um, mm-hmm. So... Shelly is going to break down the fad diets for us, which is really fascinating in our world because it's like a quick fixes and some things work, some things don't work. And Shelly, could you please give us a little bit of background in why you were so drawn to nutrition? And also, if you could kind of break down how a nutritionist differs from a registered dietitian and from a clinical registered dietitian, which you actually are. Yeah, definitely. So I guess starting off with my background, um, I've always been interested in, in health and nutrition in general because my mom was, and I did find out that like I had some people in my family back like in Iran back in those days that they were doctors of sorts, but more of like holistic type of doctors Sure. Um, before Western medicine. Um, so I've always really liked that approach to health. And I figured I wanted to do the same kind of thing. And funny enough, my last name, Solemnia in, in Farsi, it means comes from health. Oh, so I figured it, it kind of was like my calling in a way. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I really wanted to focus on preventative health. And I figured that there's so much that we could use from nutrition that just isn't being tapped into and no one's really paying attention to. Now, this was decades ago from maybe like high school or something. And, and I've just been one of those lucky people that realized my passion early on and just went for it all these years um so there's that so then I, I figured out there is this role of a registered dietitian and I think originally the role was meant for the hospital setting for the healthcare setting um because it is evidence-based 
So the whole practice of dietitians is to analyze the wealth of knowledge that's out there, um, be able to interpret it and be able to translate it for people to use in medicine and any kind of healthcare setting, but also just for everyday lives because um, you know, nutrition is so much into preventative, not like the after the fact, you know, preventing all these kinds of diseases. So it is also really important to use outside of the hospital setting. So that's where I think that the whole nutrition field started to grow. Um, relative to other healthcare fields, it's kind of younger. So I feel like it hasn't really been tapped into as much, but it is really growing and it's starting to take these different fields of healthcare and just health in general and wellness. Right. Um, let's see. So then we can get into the differences between a nutritionist and a registered dietitian. Um, a nutritionist is just anybody could be a nutritionist. It's not really a protected title. It's um, trying to like compare it. Like you can, anyone can say that they're like a wellness practitioner. That doesn't really mean much. But if you tell, tell someone you're a doctor or a medical doctor, that's a title. Right. Um, so it's the same thing with a dietitian. Anyone can say they are a nutritionist. It's not a protected title. It doesn't really mean much, unfortunately. Um, they're trying to change that. But a registered dietitian is a protected, protected title. And you do have to go through various steps. There's a degree, a bachelor's degree in nutrition. Um, and then an internship, which is about 1,200 hours of rotations. And it's in clinical, community, and food service. And then um, you have to pass a board exam. And there's new uh, requirements coming that you're gonna require a master's. I already have my master's and I feel like it's so important because the master's degree portion really teaches people about uh, science and evidence and how to read literature. Sure. Um, which is super, super important. And research has become one of my new passions because of my master's degree, I think. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting because a lot of personal trainers will will counsel on nutrition mm -hmm. and i myself got in huge trouble one time for somebody had asked me what i was what what should i suggest that they eat and i just you know i told them my diet what they should do and i just kind of got schooled and i learned my lesson the hard way and i have so much respect for registered dietitians and you know certified nutritionists but a lot of there's a lot of trainers out there suggesting what people should do and it's it's quite illegal um, I know that the jargon is, this is what I do. I, I don't advise anything, but this is what I do. And that's the only way you can be protected as, you know, personal trainers out there who will advise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate because a lot of people go to personal trainers um, to, in, in, you know, improve their health. They want to start getting active. Um, and so they are the frontline type of people in some way. Um, and, you know, exercise and nutrition do go hand in hand. You can't be healthy without exercise and you can't be healthy without nutrition. Mm -hmm. So I get why people are asking them and I get why personal trainers are interested in it. Um, it is just unfortunate that sometimes the personal trainers just maybe are in, misinterpreting what they're reading. Sure. Um, and then they do tell people, you know, the wrong information or misinformation or it gets misconstrued. Um, it does happen a lot, but I mean, it, it can also happen with like doctors. I've, I've seen doctors give nutrition advice that is just not evidence-based and can be outright dangerous, you know, especially for medical conditions. You're right. And I've talked to so many doctors and it just seems like 
that the nutrition area is kind of glossed over in medical school. And unless they really research it themselves, it's just not, you know, in the, in the education system for what they do from what I've, what I've heard and experienced. But speaking of hospital, I also read that you have worked on antioxidant protocol during this pandemic with registering vitamin D, vitamin C, and zinc. How, how has that been for you? Yeah, so the hospital I work at, it's in South LA, and it was one of the largest, uh, basically, COVID centers. Like, we've been having COVID patients since the very beginning, and it just kind of blew up. And I think we were the second most amount of patients in um, LA County. Wow. So, I mean, it was, a, it was a really tough time. We had to, basically, we couldn't do anything for the patients. And um, the intensivist, the doctor who was running the ICU, was basically saying there's a lot of you know inflammation there's a lot of things happening like reactive oxygen species a lot of oxidation so he basically asked the dietitian that was covering the icu like you try to come up with something that we can do for these patients because we don't really have anything else um, for this really like hyper oxidative inflammatory stage that they're in so uh, the dietitian talked to me about it and i was like you know what i kind of do know a lot about antioxidants because of my background in research. Um, and I do have, I do know somebody who is a holistic physician. Um, he's a doctor of osteopathy. And so I went and talked to him and he had some research that he provided for me. And then I just dug in deeper so that we can come up with some kind of antioxidant, you know, cocktail of sorts or something we can give these people to get the oxidation lower because antioxidants act in a way where they kind of prevent it from happening. And just to like make it as simple as possible, it's like you have oxidation happening, it's an antioxidant, you know? So if, if it can stop in its track or if it kind of decrease the inflammation and the oxidation that's happening, then we can try that. And maybe this type of thing that they call a cytokine storm that was happening, maybe we can lower it and then hopefully increase like mortality or morbidity in some way. That's um, great. I also, yeah. Well, and I also know the work this, you did on the front lines. That's, that sounds extremely stressful, but it sounds like you made a, a big difference really. Yeah, I, I hope I did. I, you know, we didn't do any kind of study to see if it helped. I have no idea if it actually helped, but you can see nationwide that people are getting, you know, zinc and vitamin C. And um, I think it, it could help because a lot of these patients, like when you're super, super sick, you don't want to eat. Right. And if you don't have the nutrients available for just energy and just cell reproduction and just doing whatever your body needs to do, then it's going to be harder to heal. It's going to be harder to do everything. And sure. a lot of the times with these patients, it's kind of like they're dependent on their own body to improve and to get better. Exactly. Well, antioxidants just in general are so powerful. And I know that vitamin D specifically has been talked about more often than not during this pandemic. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, we have the low, some of the lowest vitamin D in California, which is so strange because we always have the sun. But someone said we're so depleted because of the, of the ozone or just, just the atmosphere and things like that and the toxins. But um, I know myself, I take DC and zinc all the time. Um, so that's, yeah, it sounds like you did really great work, even though you don't have a measurement, antioxidant, anything is great. So very, very cool. And thanks for your work on the front lines with that. Um, I, do have to, I do have to mention though, a lot of people don't know this, that with zinc, if you're having like higher levels, like 220 milligrams of zinc sulfate 
Um, you shouldn't have it for more than 14 days because it oh. competes with copper for uptake. So you could get a copper deficiency if you're taking too much zinc. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, that's interesting knowledge. Very cool. Um, well, as we, as we get into our major topic, it's been so fascinating to see the fad diets. And as I did some research, they've been around since like early, early times, even biblical times. And I mean, they're just, there are hundreds of hilarious ones and, and ones that, you know, if you're, if you're a diehard, I guess it could work. And then to some of the today's diets that really, if you do it well, it's, but it has to be a lifestyle change, not a quick fix because a lot of these things don't last. Could you break down some of maybe the most interesting fad diets that you have seen and what works and what doesn't work? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's fad diets. So, I mean, it really comes down to what I think fad diets are all about this, this kind of culture we have of a quick fix. Um, Cause there were studies that show that around like 90% of, of diets don't work. If your goal is to lose weight, you'll lose the weight. Sure. But then after, if you go back to eating exactly the way you were, your body's going to react the same way it did and you'll gain the weight back or sometimes they even gain more. Right. I've seen that happen a lot. Um, and so it's like, it, it, you have to also look at why are these people doing fat diets? Is it all for aesthetic reasons? You know, if you have kind of like this idea that you have to do something in order to look good in order, you know, whatever your goal is, um, there is an aspect of disordered eating there and kind of like an unhealthy mental society that we kind of feel the need to do things to our body in order to look a certain way. Mm-hmm. So that's where if you actually do change your lifestyle. Um, you know, I love the Mediterranean diet because it's not actually like changing drastic changes to what you're eating. It's just adding things here and there. They're eating a little bit less meat um, so that it's really catered to what your lifestyle is, what you're, what you like. You know, you can't expect somebody to all of a sudden eat kale salad every day or just drink cabbage soup every day and then you know, go to Thanksgiving dinner and then just be okay. Like it's, it's not realistic is the thing. Um, but with some diets like, like keto or maybe some like paleo or something like that, if it does help people eat healthier, I'm okay with it. Um, even though they can kind of be annoying, like people talk about the keto people and how they're like super you know, like they, they kind of like vegans, how they're just always in your face about it. Like I'm doing keto, I'm doing keto. Like, okay, that's great. But as long as they're actually eating healthier, because I think everybody wants to hear about keto all the time. Um, cause it is the up and coming one. And I've heard a lot of times people just basically find it as an excuse to eat bacon all the time. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and I guess it, it does work in a way. I mean, it's a really complicated diet and it was meant for, um, seizures and it was really well studied in the pediatric population and kids and it does really help and I do feel that a lot of research does back it up as a medical um, you know therapy for seizures and even brain cancer so I'm not totally against it because it can work and it is used as a treatment right and Shelly have you seen all the I mean, keto is so popular that, you know, you go to any grocery store, especially the nutrition stores. I saw a $14 bag of keto cereal that was like half the size of a normal box of cereal. I mean, it was $14 and I even turned it over and looked at the ingredients and, and there was just, there was added stuff in there that if you were truly keto, 
that would kind of get you out of ketosis. I just feel like some of these, there's so many products out there that are selling these keto claims and you know, it's obviously better to just stick with whole foods on the keto diet. Have you seen a lot of these kind of diety scams with keto itself? Cause it's so popular. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the food industry doesn't have a lot of room for growth. So if they do find a new trend that they want to jump on and make money in, they will do it. Right. And if people don't know the difference, then they're just going to, you know, pay up and do it. And like, it was kind of like the gluten-free thing. There's like a good side and a bad side because now there's a lot of gluten-free options available for people who are celiac. And now there is a lot of, you know, keto-friendly, as they can say, um, options for people who do need to do this diet, which is really, really difficult to follow. And if you're not checking your ketones, you know, which needs to be done through a blood test and if you're not following it really strictly, then you're not really doing the diet, but people do see results because if you get so full from high fats, um, you know, and you, you eat less calories then they like to stick with it. Sure. Um, and you know, they also lose weight really fast because you use up your glucose, your, the stored form of glucose in your muscles. Um, and glucose, when it's stored, it holds a lot of water with it. So if you're using up all that glucose and it's not really being stored anymore, then you're losing all that water. So right away you lose all this water weight. So it's kind of like a thing where it's like, okay, wow, this is working so well. I think this diet is amazing type of thing. Um, so it kind of like, it, it, it distracts people from actually eating healthier foods, which I think everybody at this point knows. It's more vegetables, <laughs> everything in moderation. You know, not eating saturated and fats all the time and meat all the time. It's more about balance, antioxidants, vegetables, fiber, that kind of stuff. But that's the thing because Shelly, I mean, it's got it. It's so high in fat that one has to think that wouldn't when, when their cholesterol skyrocket. I mean, I know that, like you said, it's clinical and a lot of people. It's working for a lot of people. But maybe at the end of the day, it's just based on yeah, you lost water weight, but yet your cholesterol is higher. Have you seen? elevated levels on that with keto? I haven't. Um, there's only short-term studies right now, which is not useful for the long run. Sure. Um, and it is a lot more complicated than, than just eating a lot of fat because you can eat a lot of healthy fats and right. your cholesterol won't go up or if you're exercising or if you're just so like you're, you're so much in a calorie deficit that your body's trying to use up any kind of like triglycerides or fatty acids or whatever is going on in your body, it's trying to try to repackage it just to function in some way. Sure. I so was we just can't kind of, really see that right now, but. Right. I was just kind of like, like your, your previous reference to the people that just eat bacon all day. That, I guess that's a little extremist, but that would be concerning for like high cholesterols because some of these people are obese on, the, on, on keto. And I just feel like if they're adding that, is that good? But no, it, it, it is scientific breakdown. But like you said, I didn't realize we're still so, so early in the studies for keto, ketogenic. So that's interesting. And you had mentioned the gluten-free and I feel like so many products out there and so many people are eating gluten-free, but you really don't need to be gluten-free if you do not have celiac or Crohn's. Is that kind of a correct statement or no? I mean, it's like, it depends on what research you look at in some ways. Um, I think in general, we in the Western world eat so much refined grains. And I think the studies show that the number one refined grain for kids is pizza. 
And, you know, and like besides that are like baked goods, so like cakes. And then, you know, the number one form of meat that people eat is fried chicken. And so it's like, you're not, you can have bread, you know, you can have wheat, but is it whole grain? Are you eating it? That's like been bleached flour and you're having it, you know, so many like cups and pounds and pounds of this, of this refined fried bread. Um, you know, maybe that's the problem, not just like you can have bread a couple times once in a while or just include it in your diet, but rather than like your whole diet is surrounded by this refined grains. Sure. Um, that lacks fiber and really lacks nutrition, honestly. Um, so it's, but then also like the food industry here with, with the spraying of pesticides and, you know, overproduction, and they've kind of changed wheat in a way that it has changed the structure of it. And it's a lot more food and heavy right. than it used to be. Um, and also there's, I mean, it gets so complicated. Like there's the ratio of omega-3 versus omega-6. Um, and a lot of refined foods have a lot of omega-6. And then the healthier foods like olive oil and you know, fatty fish has a lot of omega-3 and you don't really eat enough of that. So it's kind of like imbalance in a way, too much of one thing. Sure. Okay. What, what about the whole 30? I mean, cause you talked about like, Previously, you had said everyone knows like fruits and vegetables and whole foods. Do you think the whole 30 would be a good, do you ever recommend that to some of your patients? I never recommend whole 30. Um, <laughs> but you know, whole 30 is really also supposed to be an elimination diet. So it's not meant to be long-term. Some people, it's kind of like FODMAP, the low FODMAP diet. Right. They do it to eliminate certain things that they feel like I have acne, I have stomach pain, I have something's wrong, I'm always fatigued. Let me eliminate everything that I can just and then add it in slowly and see what are my trigger foods. Um, the whole 30 takes it in a different way because it's supposed to be where everything is made at home. It's only whole foods, nothing packaged, nothing processed. Um, which I'm okay with, but as long as they're adding in the foods back, you know, they're not just staying that way forever and they're not, you know, lacking nutrition, then I'm okay with it. Cause it's important for people to be able to take control and see like, okay, what is bothering me so I can stop doing that. Okay. So is the whole 30, um, the same as the elimination diet? Cause I always see elimination diet on its own, but like you said, it's kind of the same thing. It's a form. It's another type of elimination. Okay. Um, now what about the cabbage soup diet? Because, um, just working in the entertainment industry, a lot of people go on and you had previously mentioned, you know, just a crash things for, for an event or something like that. A lot of people will diet down for a photo shoot and they'll do the cabbage diet for a week, or they'll do, you know, that maple syrup, you know, the maple syrup with a cayenne and a lemon juice. I think it's the Beyonce diet. <laughs> how, how, and, and I just feel like, and I was, was shooting with someone one time and, um, photo shooting, not, not shooting. Um, I always have to preface that now. And the girl fainted. I mean, she had been doing the, she had been doing the Beyonce diet, the lemon juice, cayenne pepper, maple syrup, completely fainted on set. And it's just like, you know, we do these crash things. And I had an ex-boyfriend who was a model and all he would eat is watermelon um, two days, two or three days prior. And it was mostly, he had horrible gastric gastric symptoms. I mean, he had diarrhea the entire time, but he got shredded. I mean, if someone were to have a precursor of maybe a bad heart, could something like that be really dangerous? I mean, because some people, you know, just across a nation, besides the entertainment business, of course, you know, people will do that really quickly if they're a bride or, or they have a reunion or something like that. 
could that be very dangerous, do you think? Yeah, I mean, really when it comes down to it, it's just disordered eating. Um, and nobody really wants to talk about it, especially, you know, when men do it, I feel like there's a new trend now where men are doing different things like fasting for 36 hours, 72 hours. And it's, it's just, it's, it's, an eat, it, you're starving yourself at the end of the day. You really are. Um, they call it biohacking, but that's just a nice name for, you know, what women have been doing for so long. Right. Um, you know, what's their goal? Their goal is something short term. And, you know, we've always been so obsessed with making sure we're getting enough nutrition and being as healthy as we can. But if all you're doing is, is having cabbage soup, how are you getting all the food, the nutrients that you need in a day? You know, it's very contradictory. Um, and again, it's, it's not like they're doing it for health. They're just trying to do what they can. Aesthetic, like you had said. And at the end of the day on the cabbage soup diet, couldn't that be argued also as that's all water weight? I mean, really it is, don't you think? just to lose the water weight right before a wedding or something like that. And I don't know why we don't want to call it out for what it is, but it, it really is just a form of disordered eating. Right. Yep. I, I've seen it in the flesh and I'm sure you have as well. Um, I, I like the volumetrics diet personally, which is a lot of, it's a lot of bulk. And cause I like, I'm originally from the Midwest and I like big portions. Um, do you, have you seen a lot of that trend happening where you just eat a, a ton of stuff? You know, I haven't heard of that actually before. Um, I feel like there's so many different diets out there. There are hundreds, <laughs> hundreds. I mean, I even, I even went back to, one was called, and my mom told me about this one. It's the AIDS diet candy. It's spelled A-Y-D-S. And you would have a, a piece of caramel. There were, she said there were like two or three different flavors of caramels. And you would eat one in the morning with coffee, one in the afternoon. And then I think one at night with coffee, but it, it apparently it filled you up. So she, she had tried so many things. She's um, a little bit disordered eating as well, just very tall and tall and slim, but I had always tried all the fad diets. So I thought that was a, a hilarious one. It's called the AIDS diet candy. And I've also seen, I mean, the cookie diet, which sounds like awesome on paper, but it's just in, but the cookies, I guess, aren't even that delicious. I think it's just all protein based and then you eat a substantial meal, but that was always interesting to me. And then of course the blood type diet, South Beach, Atkins was you know popular for a long time. Um, but what about in a, another one for today is the inter intermittent fasting. Mm -hmm. What do you feel about that one? Um, so it, it has this idea where our bodies do work on a clock in some way. We do have internal clocks. We have a circadian rhythm. So intermittent fasting can work for people in a certain way, because I've recently found out that people just munch all day from morning to night. They just constantly snack. I actually didn't know people were doing this until, you know, I was talking to people about that diet and we're not really meant to be eating all the time. And, and if we do that, we kind of, you know, do something to our circadian rhythm. So if we do eat meals at the same times every day, it kind of does help our circadian rhythm kick into that cycle. Um, but it does come to a point where like, more than 24 hours of not eating is just not appropriate. Like maybe for religious reasons or once in a while, like you'll be fine. But right. when it goes to the point where it's like 72 hours of not of just drinking water and electrolytes, it's like, 
how, and then you binge and eat all the nutrients you need for the day afterwards. But like, how do you actually expect to get what you need? You know, I can't imagine what that's doing to your immune system. And even if you have like all the food you need in one sitting, your body can't actually absorb all those nutrients, you know? So if you have like, I think your body can only absorb around 30 grams of protein, 20 to 30, yeah, 30 grams of protein in one sitting. So if you're just eating 80 grams of protein at once, I don't know how people can actually do that, but you're not even taking in all that protein. So it's, it's just, I don't, there is some like science behind intermittent fasting, but not in the way that people are actually doing it. It so takes a decide, lot. Of, yeah. And it takes so much discipline. And when you say circadian rhythm also, that affects your sleep pattern, doesn't it? Yes, exactly. It's all tied in because like nutrition is part of health. So if your sleep cycle is all messed up, um, if your sleep cycle is all messed up and you're not eating, you know, really well and kind of like on a, on a schedule, then I can see how things start to go out of whack. Um, so, I mean, if people decide to just not eat breakfast, I mean, breakfast is the most important meal of the day, but it depends on your schedule and what works with you. Someone is like, I will not eat breakfast. I'm going to tell them, okay, have your first meal of the day be at 12 o'clock. That's fine. As long as you're listening to your body, if you are starving and ravaging and it's 10 o'clock in the morning and you're at work, eat something. Your body is telling you it needs nutrition. It needs carbs. It needs something. So as long as we're not like ignoring our, our body's natural cues, it's okay because some people say they're doing their intermittent fasting because they're just not hungry or because they snack too much at night or eat too sure. much at night. Then sure. if it's a tool they're using to help them achieve healthier eating patterns, okay. But then if someone is really prone to disordered eating, then I'm just going to say, no way. I would never tell anybody to just do intermittent fasting because I feel like so many people are prone to that. Sure. And a lot of people argue that it just gives them a really clear head and focus all day, um, which, which can be, you know, some people can do that. Some people can't, or you can't concentrate at all because you're so hungry. And then I love what you said about like you, even, even you hadn't realized that people snack so much. And I think that that came from the fact that there was that trend where you have to eat like five to seven meals a day. And everyone started to think that, and then that, that is mindless snacking. I mean, do you really need a breakfast and then a snack, lunch, then a snack, then a snack before dinner, then a snack before you go to bed after dinner, then that these calories add up and people don't realize it's, it's just kind of crazy. Um, yeah. And then also I love what you said about you, that you couldn't, that the human body cannot absorb more than 30 grams of protein. And that's another thing because I feel like with people in fitness, particularly um, as this kind of appeals to we're always taught to eat more protein, more protein, more, more protein, and it can be really heavy. And then particularly for women, how much protein do we really need unless we're bodybuilding or, or doing you know, some kind of an Ironman or something? I just feel like people do consume too much. And can that turn to fat? Or, I mean, it also leads to constipation, I feel like. What is your feeling on that? Yeah, definitely protein is being pushed so much. Um, because when like they do the studies on energy balance, there's carb, protein, and fat, and your body, if you don't get enough calories, your body will pull from your muscle stores for that energy, you know, to do gluconeogenesis, to create those glucose. Um, and you don't want to do that. So you want to make sure you are having enough protein to keep your muscles. You know, you don't want to break down muscle. Right. So that's where that whole idea of having more protein came in because it is, it does fill you up. And it is really important. Um, 
But like there's certain things that people don't realize, like you need carbohydrates with protein because the, the carbs, the glucose actually transports the, the protein into being stored. So it just to put it very simply. Um, so without the carbohydrate, you're not really utilizing the protein as much as best as you can. Um, and there's a whole ratio for that. And, you know, they show that women really don't, not women, but everybody doesn't need as much protein as we're actually eating in the United States. It's very protein heavy here. I've been seeing in these bodybuilding type of sites that like everyone's trying to do one gram of protein per pound of body right, weight, right. which is ginormous. I think they just misread. It's supposed to be one gram per kilogram of body weight. So it's 2.2, you know, divided in pounds is kilogram. So it's right. double. And if you're just exercising all the time and you're eating all this protein, that's pretty hard on the kidneys. Absolutely. And a lot of athletes do have kidney problems with, with that, especially like wrestlers, things like that. Plus they're dieting down and, you know, cutting water weight, all these things. Yeah, that's interesting. And how about like being an athlete and, and you do need to do these kind of movements that require certain like short movements, like pumps. Sorry, I'm like doing it with my hands, but you can't see me. <laughs> like, like lifting a weight. Um, you do need that glucose in your bloodstream to utilize. Right. And people don't realize that if you're depleting yourself of carbohydrates, you're not going to perform as well. Right. And usually the carbs for bodybuilders are just very, very simple, like brown rice or a sweet potato. And that's, and they're, and they're usually small yet. The protein is huge, maybe with a little bit of like steamed broccoli. So, but then again, you know, they win these competitions and then, but can you maintain that? Do you see how many bodybuilders stay that way, stay that fit or, get really obese after that. And it's just interesting. So, and I've also, speaking of athletes, um, the, the, the film game, uh, the documentary game changers on Netflix is one of my favorites and it does break down the science and everything with the vegan diet on athletes. And, you know, there's, there's one football team that, you know, the, one of the wives is a, a vegan chef and she does all the pregame dinners and they have shown their endurance, you know, can increase but does their strength increase? That, that's kind of the argument, it seems to be. And even there have been like boxing championships where one would be a vegan and one will eat, be a solid carnivore. And a vegan did beat a carnivore one time. It was Conor McGregor who was the carnivore. And he, he made fun of uh, Diaz because he was a, a vegan, but yet he lost. And it, maybe it could have just been that match, but, but he kind of opened his eyes to, you know, this is an interesting diet. Plus, uh, Mike Tyson, has been vegan for quite, I think, quite a few years, and he's fighting again in November. And he could no longer be vegan. He just had to add bison because he just didn't feel that he had the quite the strength and power of the vegan diet, but just added, you know, simple bison. So I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's very possible to do anything you want on a vegan diet. It's possible to make it complete. It's just really hard. Right. So you have to be very mindful about everything you're putting in because it's just easier to eat meat in a way. You know, you just have one bite of fish or chicken and you get all that protein. It's more bioavailable, but right. it is possible to do it on a vegan diet. I think it's hard to do in like rural areas because I, I travel a lot for, for what I do. And if you're on a certain, you know, if you have certain regimens, it's very hard to find. And I've had stuff shipped to me, you know, if I'm in a area where they just don't even have like, I mean, almond milk or something like that. So it's, it's just interesting. And I think in, if you're in a, 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 you know, an urban area, some of these things are easier to access. 
Um, now, what do you think about the raw and macrobiotic diets? Um, well, okay. I mean, I don't know anyone who actually follows it long term. Um, I like the fact that it gets people to eat more vegetables. Sure. <laughs> and I can't say it's based really in science, but, um, you know, as long as people are able to introduce healthier foods and more options and stuff like that, I'm okay with it. But, you know, it's the same with all the other fad diets. It's just a short term type of thing for most people. And it's not really based on any evidence. It's just kind of something they're doing. Exactly. And then a lot of people are on like Weight Watchers or Nutrisystem. And I think that it seems wonderful with the points because you can really keep yourself accountable. Um, I mean, I, I think it's a pretty good program. What do, you, what do you think of that one? Yeah, I mean, I've heard that like Weight Watchers, it's more of like, I think it's accountability in some way. Um, I, that's, I think that's what they're trying to market it as. Yeah, I think you're going for weigh-ins and things like that. And there's a support system. Yeah, support system, which is nice. And um, like they have food available in like the freezer section. It has like little points on it and everything. Mm-hmm. But like, it's just if people need it, then sure. But I don't know. I think I think a dietitian would probably be a, a lot more effective for them. Sure. Because it's kind of like leading a horse to water type of thing. And there's a lot of psychology as well, obviously. Um, I think that such a big problem is, I mean, food is just so delicious. And I think that it's just like, it's portion control. And that's, I, I'm, I'm thinking back to, I don't know if you've ever seen like that Beachbody um, video where it's, I think it's Autumn Calabrese's nutrition system where she has, have you seen this where there's like different color Tupperwares and then each each represents one of the food groups and some of them are big, some of them are small, like, like the oils would be in a tiny, tiny blue container. And it's just, if you look at it, it's like, Oh my gosh, that's it. People don't realize even a box of cereal. I mean, it's usually in a portion of one cup and then you're like, you put it in a bowl and you're like, well, that's a dirty trick. And then you look like, well, that's 300 calories for that. And then you want to eat the whole box. And it's just like, so it's, portion control is just so intimidating, especially, and then if people are hungry and they're going through the drive-thrus and, and you're, you're hungry and you're driving home and you smell that wonderful Whopper smell or just like the Big Mac and it, and then you, you, it is huge. Um, I mean, everything is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I've watched documentaries on like with, with India, China, and even the British are getting really, really um, overweight. I think that's, it's, I think the British are the most overweight in Europe because of the fast food and, and things like that. So unfortunately our, you know, American economy of fast food is spreading across the globe more than ever. Um, so you see a lot of health problems with that and, and the portion controls. So, I mean, how do you, how do you deal with clients that, you know, it's, it, it could be a, like a psychological disorder of, of overeating and like a one cup of cereal or something like that, or, or, when meat is portion controlled in, in the size of your fist, it can be intimidating. How do you coach your clients on that, especially in the clinical realm? I definitely feel like portion control is one of the hardest things. Like I struggle with that too. I think everybody does. Cause yeah. if you have something in front of you, you're more likely to eat it, especially with this whole like clean your plate mentality we all have. I don't know. I was definitely brought up with that. Like if it's on my plate, I have to eat it. Even if I'm not hungry, or a fool at this point. Like I just keep eating. Um, you know, there's this whole mindset. It's called intuitive eating. 
and mindfulness that I really, really love. Um, and there are people who focus specifically on, on just that, if you go and see them, dietitians. And it, one of the, the points of that is working on portion control um, and listening to your body. And, you know, if you go into your meals starving and ravenous, you're going to eat a lot more than you actually need because you're so hungry, you just consume it all at once super fast. So that's definitely like if we work on mindfulness and intuitive eating, we can really work on, you know, getting to the point where we're not starving before we eat so that we can actually portion control. Absolutely. And I think I said, you know, everyone, everyone makes fun of the, the COVID, the COVID 20 or whatever it's called. Um, it's hard, especially in the beginning when people, when it just, everybody was at home and quarantined and it's like, you walk by that fridge. I mean, there's so many, there's so many comedic skits on this about like taping the refrigerator up, putting a lock on it. Cause it, it sometimes just comes out of boredom or just the oral fixation, just as smokers do, they want the hand to mouth. Yeah. Thing. So it's <laughs> just, it, it's, it's hard. And, and I want to ask you what's, what has been your personal biggest indulgence during the pandemic? Yeah. Let's see, let's see, like, first of all, I'm not against filling your cravings. I think we should all honor our cravings. And if I think it's really good to listen to our body, right. but I think like we all, and all of us are human. And if we want to have something that we crave, you know, go for it. Cause then I'm not going to want it as much later on. Cause I've got my fix. Exactly. Um, I've been, I've been starting to make my own ice creams at home. So that's been a, a really <laughs> guilty pleasure that I love with coffee and um, but you know, I don't really feel like I have something that I do is bad because I just eat what I want, but I make sure that it's, I also eat the healthy things and I balance it out and sure, balance sure. is one of those things that is super important. So if I want to have French fries, then I will, but I also will have a salad. Sure. And I know the Persian food, the Persian cuisine is like one of my favorites in the entire Oh yeah, <laughs> world, and then it, it just, you, you guys, there's events, family events. It's so special food. And in, in, in most cultures, it's just such a, it's, it binds people together and, mm -hmm. and not being able to share and not being able to partake with your family because it's a lot of sacred dishes that are, you know, ancestral. I mean, I know myself, there's, there's Eastern European and Russian dishes that we have that just brings me back to, it makes me so happy and I'm not going to skip mm -hmm. out on, on these things. However, being Eastern European and, and of Russian descent, there's definitely a lot of the cabbages. I mean, cabbage. It, I was raised yeah. that and borscht. I love beets. I love vinegar. You know, I love like caviar even. It's just, it's, it's really good food to me, but other people would be like, Oh, no way. Um, but, it, but it's, it's nostalgic and it brings you closer to your family and, and it, and it is important. And I like that you do allow yourself to indulge because life is short. And what do you do Shelly for, for, um, exercise and fitness for yourself? Yeah. So, I mean, before COVID, <laughs> I was right. doing um, aerial arts. So it's kind of like the trapeze and the silks yes. and all that. It was really athletic and I absolutely loved it. I'm so heartbroken. I'm not doing it right now. Oh, um, yeah. And I've been, I've, this whole time I haven't really been exercising because I'm just not one of those people that can just do it at home. I kind of need to have someone hold me accountable for exercising because sure. I can't exercise in the same place I sleep. It's just like two different, I have to compartmentalize it. But recently I've started going to spin classes and I'm starting up again and getting into a routine. I've realized that creating a habit and, and routine, be going every Tuesday, Thursday, you know, somewhere outside that mm -hmm. I can exercise gets me to actually do it. If I don't For have sure. that schedule, then I'm not. 
Exactly. Um, I have a lot of friends who do the silks and aerial. Um, one of one of my very good friends was an aerial gymnast for the Sydney or the um, excuse me Canadian Olympics, um, and she had actually trained in Russia every summer. But anyway, a lot of my friends do have the silks and the rigs at home. So if you were really you know um, desperate to get on one, I can certainly connect you with some people uh. that would probably allow that. Um, I bet it just is, I'm sure it's just beautiful when you do it. That's very cool. But that's such a wonderful core and elongating body workout. So it's too bad that you can't do that right now. But hopefully this pandemic will pass, hopefully, and you can get back into these things. Yeah, it's really hard for a lot of people to do the gyms at home, um, especially if people are hardcore CrossFit and they have neighbors downstairs in their apartment, you can't be jumping around. And I have uh, bodybuilders that live in my, in my um, vicinity and they were, you know, they were just jacked and ready for competition. And then it's like COVID hit and you can't, they can't, you know, companies can't ship 500 pound dumbbells, you know, so you lose all that mass. I, I go, um, I, between you and I, I had a horrible, horrible, my broken leg and arm, like actually shattered my limbs in January. So I'm still recovering, but I do go and practice walking at Poinsettia Park and they have a huge, it's kind of the Mecca of bodybuilders. They're all outside in West Hollywood and they bring all their own weights. And but there's like, you know, cybergenics coming from trees. People are hanging from trees and doing all the weights and they put like a weight bench into a tree. And the other day I saw, you know, CrossFitters in the back of a bar parking lot near a dumpster, there was a whole CrossFit class. Oh, wow. <laughs> Why would you choose to go back there? Maybe they were hiding because there was like, there were quite a few people, but I'm sure it wasn't, you know, didn't smell that great. And it was one of our, you know, 101 degree days. So it was kind of funny. Oh, wow. Anyway, um, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. At the end of the day, what would be the best diet that you'd recommend that could just be universal? Okay. Yeah. So there, I'm just going to say there is no universal diet. Everybody is different. So what you need is not what somebody else needs. What you like isn't what someone else likes. So as long as you can, I think what the most universal way is to adapt a healthy eating lifestyle to what you do. So if you are from Guatemala and you love Guatemalan food, find the healthier versions of those dishes or just eat the healthier options and, you know, eat what you like, but take into mind what is the healthy things, making sure you're having enough vegetables, making sure it's, you have a little bit of everything. Like we say, eat the rainbow, make sure you have every color. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's just like, it's, a, it's, if you do need help figuring out what the, the healthy options go and see somebody like a dietitian that can help guide you towards making those choices. Good advice. And what are your goals for yourself and your career moving forward? Oh, I'm one of those people that try to do everything. (laughs) Um, But like, let's see. Okay, so I've been right now uh, working on shadowing and and working with a lactation consultant. So I really would love to get that um, certification. It's called IBCLC. Um, To get women to breastfeed, I think it's super important. It really is from the beginning of health with breast milk and breastfeeding. Um, I would also really love to get a certification on oncology nutrition because cancer nutrition is one of the things I'm very, very passionate about. Um, and then if I could, I would also do a diabetes education, (laughs) which is just, there's so many things I want to do, but, um, 
I think it's, it's like diabetes is one of those things that people really can help themselves with the diet. So that's... Yes, they can take themselves off type two if they really put the work in. Mm -hmm. So I'm just working on that and, and my counseling skills and just being in the hospital and learning from everybody in the team. And, uh, thank you. I know I could talk forever about this stuff. It's just, there's just so much, but I love it. Thank you for having me. It's been great. And that was registered dietitian Shelley Selimia and her educated opinions on the latest diet trends. You can find her on Facebook at Nutrition by Shelley. That's N-U-T-R-I-T-I-O-N-B-Y-S-H-E-L-Y. And also on Instagram at S-H-E-L-Y-S-A. We appreciate you for listening and please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. You can also listen on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Luminary, Tuned In, or at Believe.com. You can reach out to me for any questions or topics you'd like covered on the show at Ann McDaniels. And I'll see you next time on So Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.